0: Welcome to the Independent News Hour. In the headlines today, Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women, according to a report released earlier today. Mayor de Blasio announces a new vaccine passport program for the city. And a closely watched Cleveland congressional race goes down to the wire. Good evening. In New York, I'm John Tarleton, editor-in-chief of the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women according to a bombshell report released earlier today by New York Attorney General Letitia James. That 167-page report corroborated the accounts of 11 women who made claims against Cuomo of inappropriate touching, kissing, and sexual comments. Many of the women worked in Cuomo's administration. When asked if Cuomo should resign, James said this. That decision
1: ultimately is up to the governor of the state of New York. The report speaks for itself. And, I, and right now I think we should all be focused on the courageous um, and bravery of the women who came forward. And all of us should be focused on keeping women safe, believing women, um, and allowing women to speak their truth. And that's exactly what this document does.
0: Cuomo has re- Governor Cuomo has responded with a video statement in which he claims that he was simply trying to convey warmth and affection as he had been taught by his Italian parents.
2: The New York Times published a front page picture of me touching a woman's face at a wedding and then kissing her on the cheek. That is not front page news. I've been making the same gesture in public all my life. I actually learned it from my mother and from my father. It is meant to convey warmth, nothing more.
0: Cuomo could face criminal or civil charges for violating workplace sexual harassment laws. Also, no word so far from Assembly Speaker Carl Heastie. He has previously resisted calls to initiate impeachment proceedings against Cuomo, a close political ally. Here in New York City, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced today that the city will institute a vaccine pass starting August 16th for indoor dining, entertainment and fitness activities. So today I announce a new approach, which we're calling the key to NYC pass, the key to New York City. When you hear those words, I want you to imagine the notion that because someone's vaccinated, they can do all the amazing things. That are available in this city. This is a miraculous place, literally full of wonders. But if you're unvaccinated, unfortunately, you will not be able to participate in many things. That's the point we're trying to get across. It's time for people to see vaccination as literally necessary to living a good and full and healthy life. The announcement comes amid a surge in cases of the Delta variant of the coronavirus. In Washington, D.C., the Biden administration is scrambling to assist tenants after the White House and the Democratic-led Congress allowed a federal pandemic eviction moratorium to lapse on Saturday. The end of the moratorium has put millions of financially distressed renters at risk of losing their homes. President Biden is now directing federal agencies to consider targeted extensions for tenants in federally subsidized housing, ask state judges to slow-walk eviction proceedings, and has called for a review of problems that have caused states to release only $3 billion of $47 billion in rental assistance that Congress allocated earlier this year. After the break, we'll speak with Sia Weaver of Housing Justice for All about how tenants and advocates here in New York are responding to this situation. In Cleveland, voters go to the polls today in a closely watched Democratic primary to fill a vacant congressional seat. The primary features former state Senator Nina Turner and Cuyahoga County Councilperson Chantel Brown. Turner was a leading supporter of Bernie Sanders in his two presidential runs and is a favorite of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Brown is strongly backed by the senior leadership of the Congressional Black Caucus and has received millions of dollars in support from outside super PACs, bankrolled in part by donors to Donald Trump's 2020 presidential campaign. This is first Turner and then Brown making closing appeals to their supporters.
3: Addressing these material conditions and the lifting people up so that they don't only not fall behind, but they actually get ahead. This is what this campaign is about.
1: It's been a really, really um, hotly contested race, coming down to two women. Just please come out, vote for Chantel Brown. This is a fight for the future. I've been doing the work, and um, I just want to do more of the work that I've been doing.
0: Later in the show, we'll hear from a progressive journalist who's on the ground in Cleveland covering the race. We'll be back with more after this short break. Hamza Aldeen, welcome to the Independent News Hour on 99.5 FN in New York. I'm John Tarleton, editor-in-chief of the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. Our August issue hit the streets yesterday across New York City. You can find it in our red and white news boxes on street corners, and you can also uh, now find it in uh, dozens of libraries. Once again, the libraries have uh, fully reopened. And you can also find us online at independent.org, I N D Y P E N D E N T dot O R G. I'm also joined today by the Indies, Amba Gagarian.
1: Thanks, John. And hi, everybody. It's great to be here with you and all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org.
0: Well, in our first segment, we look at the increasingly dire straits millions of renters find themselves in as the Delta variant surges across the country. A federal eviction moratorium instituted last year lapsed this past Friday at midnight, putting an estimated 11 million tenants nationwide at risk of eviction. Here in New York, a statewide eviction moratorium is slated to end at the end of August Joining us today to break down what's going on and how tenant movements are responding to this situation is Sia Weaver of Housing Justice for All, a statewide coalition of more than 70 organizations fighting for housing for every New Yorker statewide. In 2019, they won the strongest tenant rights in a generation with the landmark legislation that passed in Albany. But the pandemic has created unprecedented new challenges that they are now facing Sia, thanks for joining us on WBAI Radio.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Sure. So just for starters, uh, can you describe uh for our listeners uh, how the the federal eviction moratorium uh lapsed or collapsed uh, last Friday and, and the excuses that are being made for for why that happened?
4: Yeah, totally. So, you know, last just last Friday, um the House of Representatives went home for August recess without passing a legislative extension of our federal eviction moratorium. The federal eviction moratorium was instituted by the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, and it was really a first of its kind sort of like landmark decision saying that housing is healthcare and that you can't evict people in the middle of a pandemic. Um, landlords, of course, sued over this. They said, What business does the CDC telling, have telling us what we can do on our property? Um, took it all the way to the Supreme Court, where there was a 5 4 decision saying that the eviction moratorium could stay, but only until July 31st. And after July 31st, further legislative action would be necessary. Um, so, you know, Nancy Pelosi, there was a bill. Um, Nancy Pelosi didn't make it happen. Um, And now progressive members of Congress are outside protesting, calling on Congress to come back into session and pass this legislation. Of course, if it can't pass the House, it's much harder to pass the Senate. And Biden has completely um, up until now sort of abdicated and kicked the ball to um, to Congress um, because of this sort of Supreme Court ruling. Um, So that was the status quo until. until just a few minutes ago when we got word that, you know, Biden is considering passing a new one, but a more limited one in hopes that the Supreme Court would not strike it down.
0: It, it got it. And, and, um, it, it. and is it true that the Biden administration like literally waited till the day before the the moratorium was gonna lapse before before they threw this over to Congress?
4: Yes, that's true. So Biden waited until the very last minute to let Pelosi know that it was on her to deal with us.
1: All right. Thanks, Sia. And we're going to turn a little bit here to New York. Um, So the September 1st eviction moratorium deadline is here in New York. And um, sorry, the, the New York eviction deadline is September 1st. So can you tell us about how housing justice advocates are preparing for that?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is that we are just completely disappointed with the state and with Andrew Cuomo's Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance, which has been charged with getting the rent Relief Program out the door. Um, New York is one of four states that has failed to get pretty much any money out so far. They've put out less than 1% of the $2.7 billion that we have for rental assistance money. Um, so we are mounting protests and resistance, calling on the state legislature to go back to session, extend our eviction moratorium until, you know, the middle of June next year, as well as um, to improve the ERAP process such as Emergency Rental Assistance Program and make it easier for renters to apply and to be awarded the resources they need to pay the rent.
1: And, how- and that's how- been a push for a while. Um, improving the ERAP process, because I know so little of those eviction um, funds went out or of the the housing funds went out. Could you talk a little bit about if that um, is seeing any progress? Yeah,
4: so we are definitely getting traction in the legislature. Um, We sent a letter to Andrew Cuomo and Otada demanding detailed changes from tenant groups at the beginning of the summer and a second letter from legislators later, um, almost 50 legislators signed on demanding changes. And that's, and, uh, you know, everyone in New York is Democrats, but I'll say bipartisan to say everyone signed on to this letter, both from, you know, the socialists to the, um, to some more moderate, to people who never really are on the side of renters because they know that, you know, addictions are not good for anybody. Um, and if we don't get this emergency rental assistance money out the door, both landlords and renters are going to suffer. Um, so it's a unique moment of bipartisanship between like landlord Democrats and tenant Democrats in Albany. Um, of course, Governor Cuomo is the one who has to make this happen. Uh, it's his agency. And I think everyone's, I think I'm not alone in saying that uh, no one has really good feelings about Andrew Cuomo right now. <laughs>
0: For so many different reasons, um, and, and can you talk a little bit about more about what makes the the application process uh, so complicated? I mean, we were doing a show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we were um, uh, talking with about the the fund for excluded workers, uh, another program uh, that's been initiated in response to the pandemic, and that's also a very complicated process. So, I mean, what what's going on here? And it, it, it seems like there's a, um, this, uh, this tendency to, to make things complicated out of a fear that somewhere somebody might pull off a scam, even, even though the, the, you know, the rich and the powerful in this state are, are, scamming the government left and right all the time.
4: Yeah, it's really ridiculous. I mean, all you have to do to get the mortgage interest tax deduction is check a box when you file your taxes to the IRS. And you're awarded, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in housing subsidy if you're a homeowner. If you're a renter, you have to spend hours and hours filling out paperwork, prove that you are worthy, and you know, basically promise your firstborn to the state in order to get any rental assistance. And that's just, you know, speaking generally. And and it's a it's a real mistake. um, These hyper means-tested programs, and it's it's a reaction to you know, neoliberal Reagan era government. And it's, and it's, it's disgusting, really. Um, in terms of ERAP specifically, the specific challenges here, you know, it takes up to two hours to complete an application. The website crashes frequently. Paper applications are not available. You can't save your application. They require a really onerous amount of documents, including photo ID for every single family member, including children. I mean, I was trying to remember when I first got a photo ID, and I don't really think it was till I was like maybe 16. Um, so you know, there's a there's a lot of a lot of required things that are you know really um, unnecessary. And in their efforts to prove that no one is gonna game the system, they are leaving out the most vulnerable people that they are supposedly trying to help.
1: Right. And so um, talk about your thoughts on the successes and limitations of the cancel the rent campaign. Here in New York,
4: I would love to. Um, and thanks for asking. You know, the cancel rent campaign, I think, was a tremendously accessible movement in a lot of ways. Um, we brought, you know, tens of thousands of new people into housing justice organizing just speaking for housing justice for all the number of people who follow and engage with housing justice for all cat like catapulted it went from like you know six or seven thousand people to well over a hundred thousand people who are engaging with our work and so the cancel rent campaign I think was very tremendous when it comes to like a popular message that lots of people could see themselves in and when it comes to really movement building um but it was also pretty divisive and the concept of cancel rent really exposed like fractions within you know the Democratic Party in Albany and what they really are or are not willing to fight for. Um, it exposed just how powerful the um, homeowner class is with traditional Democrats and there the are limits to which you know our elected officials are willing to go um, to protect property rights over human rights to a home. So it was it was um, it struggled to get traction in the legislature in the way that some some of our more traditional housing campaigns have. And, you know, because of that, I think, you know, while it was like a bold outside demand that did serve to create a stronger ERAP program, we didn't really transform the housing subsidy system in the way that we wanted to. We weren't able to get rid of means testing, for example. I certainly think that we have a stronger program, one that includes real tenant protections, one that includes undocumented New Yorkers, than we would have had absent the cancel rent campaign. But I don't think that we achieved exactly what we set up to achieve. Um, But that's good because we can't put ourselves out of a job. (laughs) And
0: and speaking of Democrats in the, in the homeowner class, um, your thoughts on the upcoming uh, Eric Adams administration, um, it and how it will uh, impact tenants.
4: I think it's going to be um, I think it's going to be rough going. Eric Adams has already said that he would like to institute higher rent increases at the RGB, especially for you know mom and pop landlords. So so-called mom and pop landlords. The challenge there is that mom and pop landlords are few and far between and don't really exist. Um, I expect, you know, Eric Adams also spent a lot of time campaigning with the folks um, on the Upper West Side, the white homeowners who were rejecting and retaliating against homeless New Yorkers and trying to stop homeless New Yorkers from moving into the Lucerne Hotel, if you remember that episode last summer. They endorsed Eric Adams' campaign for mayor and they stood with him and he stood with them. Um, And, you know, if those are the people who Adams is going to be listening to, Um, When it comes to housing policy, he is going to continue to pursue policies that um, target homeless New Yorkers, that criminalize homeless New Yorkers and lead to rent increases for tenants. And and that's, that's pretty dangerous, I think, for the housing movement. And I'm pretty worried.
1: Right. And we're already seeing like, you know, uh, the the eviction of, of, of homeless folks who were staying in hotels and now are being sent back to concrete shelters. Many of them are unvaccinated. Um, and I'm, you know, wondering how that will continue when Adams is in office. But I, I want to backtrack just a little bit, Sia, and ask you, um, going back to the New York eviction moratorium that's set to end September 1st, um, what I mean, this is kind of a dark question, but what should renters who can't pay the rent haven't paid their rent? What should they expect? You know, if if the ERAP isn't made easier, if nothing changes as it is now?
4: Well, renters should, even though ERAP is terrible, (laughs) you should still apply. Um, If people haven't applied for ERAP yet, they should apply and there are you know, many nonprofit organizations who can support people with their application um, if you are having trouble. So renters should and must apply for emergency rental assistance um, and hope that it comes. Uh, if it doesn't come, renters in New York City all have a right to counsel. Right to counsel is expanded to cover all eligible households. Um, low-income households during the pandemic, and that is going to stay. That is not going anywhere. Um, so working with your attorney, you should you know, be able to get access to, um, to the city's existing rental assistance programs such that they exist. But the most important thing that renters need to do is that you need to talk to other neighbors in your building. Um, we are working with tenant associations who have won 50% reductions in their back rent directly from the landlord you are not alone if you can't pay your rent and you couldn't pay your rent over the last six months. And so the most important thing you could do in addition to like, you know, applying for ERAP is talk to the people who live in your building, get involved with the local neighborhood organization and resist your eviction and do that with your neighbors and build tenant power at the building and block level. Great, uh,
0: we really appreciate that. It- is there anything else you would wanted to say before uh, we have to uh, sign off here?
4: Sure, yeah. I would also urge folks who can't pay the rent and who are struggling with ERAP to call your state assembly members and ask them to go back to session, ask them to ask Carl Hastie to call session, call your state senator. They can do something about this, and they are not. And if you are available, we are going to be um, outside of Andrew Cuomo's Manhattan office tomorrow at 633 3rd Avenue at 11 a.m calling on the legislature to go back to session, commence impeachment proceedings and extend the eviction moratorium. So would love to see your listeners there.
0: Awesome. Well, see a Weaver, always uh, fighting the good fight uh, from uh, housing justice for all. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on WBAI radio.
4: Thank you. See you soon.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. We'll be back with more after this short break.
3: al inocente Carabineros para ofrecerle premios a los obreros. Miren cómo se vende cabo y sargento para teñir de rojo los pavimentos. Miren cómo profanan la sacristía con pieles y sombreros de hipocresía. De Maria. Y al pobre negre, la
1: luz del that was Miren Como sonríen by Chilean folk singer Violeta Parra and welcome back to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm Amba Gergarian with the Indies Editor-in-Chief John Tarleton.
0: Great to be here with you, Amba. And before we go to our next guest, we should let listeners know how they can support WBAI and help keep shows like this on the air.
1: That's right. You can call 212-209-2950 or give online at give2wbai.org. the number two, WBAI.org. So that's call 212 209 or go online to give the number two WBAI.org to make a one time donation or become a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 per month and become eligible for all sorts of great perks. So please consider giving if you can.
0: That's right. Once again, that phone number is 212 209 2950. Or you can go online to give number two, wbai.org. And, uh, when you give, it's you, the listener that keeps this, uh, station on the air. And a moment in our next segment, we're going to hear about uh, a really wonderful group of people that's been doing mutual aid work. But when you give to the station, that's another form of mutual aid. It's only our listeners that keep this station on the air. There's no corporate advertising. There's no billionaires giving us money. It's you, the listener. So we'll share that number again later in the show.
3: Ancestors.
1: Thank you. Um, so turning to our second segment, two Saturdays ago on June twenty-fifth, the NYPD attacked and attempted to displace a mutual aid hub and organizing collective that was based out of an empty space in a Brooklyn building called the gym. Now that's located at ten eighty-three Broadway, and I'm saying that because you're gonna keep hearing that address. There were apparently 14 arrests and one person had to be hospitalized during this dislocation from the NYPD. And the gym was in the space at 1083 Broadway It was born out of last summer's uprising, as has been used um, since June, last June of 2020. During the height of last summer's protests, the space served as a resource storage space and distribution space. It was an organizing hub that medics were dispatched from to send to protests and supplies were sent to actions and for jail support. Uh, support for- for people who were arrested at actions and then as as some of that died down um the the space continued as a mutual aid space um and they were evicted and then re-entered the space just a couple weeks ago and when they re-entered the space is when the nypd came um full-on in riot gear, um, and, and, and made the arrest. So to speak about the events and the gym, the mutual aid space is Caitlin Balcom, who has been living and doing social activism out of the building, um, at, at 1083 Broadway for the past seven years. So she knows a lot about everything. So welcome, welcome Caitlin to WBAI. Thank you very much for having me slash us. Absolutely. So me? tell me a little. Yeah, we can hear you. Thank you. So just tell me a little bit, Caitlin, um, briefly, what, you know, what the mutual aid, what kind of mutual aid you were doing, what the surrounding area of the space is like, and then what was going on recently right before the arrest?
5: Yes, um, I've lived on the block for eight years. It's a very particular block, about halfway on on the Broadway Myrtle Corridor, more or less. Um, we do direct daily mutual aid in a way that is, we provide material support of whatever kind that our neighbors need, but it's also mostly about providing a space that people are allowed to gather together and be humans because along the entire Broadway corridor, there aren't any of that, um, there's like 20 blocks radius from around our space. There's no um, public bathroom, water fountain, place to sit down outside, shade, green space, anywhere to be indoors or outdoors as a human being if you're not spending money. A lot of gentrifiers that won't look at you and just want you to go away. And then a lot of developers. So as far as the city is concerned, it's just developer money and then people that they think of as nothing and a few gentrifiers. So we take lists, we put families, specific stuff to the shelter individuals like hygiene products and socks and underwear and food and all the kind of stuff that the actual supportive housing doesn't provide. We have a lot of local families that bring us lists. We do pretty much everything.
1: Right. And just you know quickly just I wanted you to talk um about how this is being affected by the the recent move from shelters um from sorry from Hotels to shelters, how that's affected your work, the, the move. So the re- Go ahead. The
5: recent move has been very public and very extremely traumatizing for, I think, anyone encountering it in any real way. But our neighbors at the BRC RTL COVID shelter our 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 literal family. We've spent every single day with them this entire year. And any kind of fight for the gym, quote unquote, is just a fight like with and not for with them. Um, we've been talking about and we in a broader term of anyone who's been working on this in Manhattan with Sia Weaver and a lot of the organizations that y'all mentioned in the last segment are absolutely a part of and we've all been in conversation for a while or at least trying to be. Um, we've been talking about this all year. People have been parked on Bill de Blasio's lawn since November or whatever screaming at his actual house for him to listen to this conversation. So, this week in particular, it's just the city's reopening for tourists and people with money. There are COVID precautions in place for, again, tourists and money. And my landlord made $14 million in the Bronx recently. Um, and we live in a neighborhood that he's brutalized and displaced for the past, I don't know, decades. So this week, watching NYC forcibly displace its own unvaccinated residents back to congregate housing to make way for vaccinated tourists to go into hotels is just unconscionable um and also yeah we've been working since thursday when we got word about the transfers we and our networks have been 24 hours on the ground at the hotel artel to try to prevent displacement which is the one hotel where men have still been allowed to remain they're the one despite all the tweets from the city and people The people in the RTL, as far as I can tell, are the one place that have been protected actually by any of the court orders because we were there to watch and make sure they weren't violated. They violated their own court orders on Friday night. We saw it all weekend. Everyone else has already been moved back to congregate housing. Those people have been lost because they're the people who can't advocate for themselves. And everyone else has already been displaced to Queens over the weekend without told where they were going and made to stand in the rain since 10 a.m., Two bags of belongings. They took their phones, no razors. It's people, it's a supposedly free state treating people who are, even according to the state, not in a carceral position like complete criminals or, I'm sorry, even worse. And yeah, and we've also had people on the ground at those Queens shelter locations greeting the incoming people and providing mutual aid around the clock. And anyone listening who would like to help us do that, please get involved.
1: Right. Great. And um, now we're going to shift gears a little bit to um, what happened two Saturdays ago with NYPD and the attempted displacement. Could you explain um, the events of that morning and leading up to it and then the morning? Well, what I can say about the morning is because
5: the events leading up to it are sort of what I just described and people just mean the, the yeah. ground no, what I know. happened. And lots of people baseball. who care. And then, so there was planning in place. I mean, yeah, we're,
3: what happened that actual
5: morning is that at an unexpected time, our presence in the gym was discovered, or or like whatever. At a certain time across the city, people came from five boroughs and Staten Island at ten in the morning to respond to like a brutal NYPD raid on a community space that they know. And that's how it happened on Saturday. It was like an instant loving and like extremely fierce
1: response at 10 in the morning from all across the city. So let's backtrack just a little bit. Um, You all were in the space um, that had been empty and you began to occupy the bottom of this building and uh, you were using it as a mutual aid space and the landlord called the cops on you. And from the inside, you were you were blocking them. And there were other supporters on the outside as well, um, trying to protest around the space to keep it safe. Correct.
5: I'm not going to comment on the details, but essentially the gym community decided that after um, a whole year of sitting empty and unused um, by a landlord who pays $12,000 a year on a property that they've owned since the 90s while displacing people from it and is an illegal occupancy and doesn't doesn't uh, do any upkeep or spend any money that since no one in the area has access to bathrooms or air conditioning and the space was sitting empty with both of those things that we would reclaim it which since again now that we have active documentation of the past five days of fascism I don't see as an issue but yeah
1: right and and there were there were fourteen arrests made, and there was one hospitalization that suggests yeah. that it was a pretty brutal morning, oh yeah, it was extremely brutal. I mean
5: that's all, like I'm not gonna comment on the legal aspects or whatever the next thing is about the like actual legality of whatever happened like on, but what we do know is that yeah, that every like elite force and tool of the n y p d was deployed. At the behest of a millionaire landlord family that owns property all over the city, but doesn't even live in the five boroughs, to come and you know, no holds barred by any means necessary, totally shut down what we were doing and demanding arrests. The city was trying. Julia Salazar was trying to intervene with the landlord in real time.
1: Right, and and I know that you, for 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 legal reasons, can't comment too much on the back and forth of the events, but um, you no, know, we, yeah which is which just so our listeners wonders but also our you know something that we've heard from outside sources and that we we you know saw footage of was that the the srg was there and for our listeners the srg is the nypd's strategic response group they're basically what people colloquially call cop, bike cops and they're especially trained bike squadron um, for anti-terrorism they wear high-tech armor and essentially act as riot police despite the fact that you know they get the funding for the training as anti-terrorism um, with that anti-terrorism designation so, and after the scathing DOI report, actually, that the, that they released on the, the NYPD's mishandling of last summer's protest, de Blasio said SRG should stay away from protests. So, that is one thing we heard. I know you can't comment anymore on that, but they were there. Um, and that just, I can comment give our... a little bit broadly. Oh, okay. wrong, right? no, no, no. oh great. I mean, yeah, yeah, go, go for it.
5: Oh, I know. I mean, I can't. Yeah. I'm definitely a big picture person. I don't know the details, I don't know what SRG was told to do. I can say pretty much that yes SRG was there as far as I could see that SRG was doing what they always do which is to specifically show up to stalk and brutalize and repress um free speech and protest action um to show up and to try to shut down black and brown community events um to yeah ride around pretty much just stalking uh free speech and treating Sort of uh, caring about other humans and being loud about it as like
1: fundamentally radical and a threat to the state, and they're paid to do so. Right, and and how can people um, follow what's going on with the gym in the space at 1083 Broadway if they're curious about where where you're going to be going um, in the future and and how these. Well,
5: if they're in New York, I would certainly recommend like being in direct contact us with us this week if people in new york are concerned about the fact that we literally have five days straight of documentation of an arm of new york state law in broad daylight and without any hesitation like illegally kidnapping its own residents and displacing them violating all of its own laws and so and to (laughs) come on the ground and support that with their own neighbors i think people can follow the gym on our instagram and twitter and our or yeah i think fundamentally we are Working uh, tirelessly towards a city where people are rooted into their own neighborhoods and caring for each other and paying attention because literally the only thing that I don't know we stayed outside that hotel and paid attention to the people we cared about and therefore we have literal proof of five days worth of totally illegal human rights abuses authoritarian activity and it also proves in actual fact that for the past 20 plus years, nothing that anyone has ever heard anyone say about their experience within a shelter or city housing system is at all paranoid or based on mental ill health. That's a tactic that they use. It's a fundamentally carceral destabilizing system and they do it on purpose. So please, if you are, especially in New York and you're liberal or whatever, and you're a property owner and you have money, I really encourage you to think about the fact that right during this week or something, I, I don't know, again, not good at details. There's like 8,000 of your actual neighbors who we spend time with and know them. If you would speak to them for more than two seconds they are they know exactly what they're talking about. Y'all, and again, not you, um, 99.5, but everyone reaching out to the gym or me for my knowledge and info on the housing system and the city Every single thing that's coming out of my mouth, I have directly learned from spending one whole year every single day with the people inside the thing. Like, I don't right. know anything other than that. The legal thing, like, I really respect everyone who is on before and everyone who's been fighting for this for a long time. But once someone from legal aid asks us to step in because to protect people, because there's nothing else they can do for another two days. And it's just clear that this is now, again, proven, not just clear. Proven. This is me. and not, not academic, like proven that this is the way it is. It's been this way forever. All it's been is like these detached conversations between lawyers and judges and the city. They come once in a while. They get people's stories. They give them this sense that something will change. Nothing has ever changed. I had a person ask me, whom I love and is very smart, and they took me aside and asked me, they asked me, They said, Ma, I think you know a little bit about what you're talking about. How long are you supposed to be trapped in the city shelter system with a job, with all your paperwork in order, applying and then being denied for permanent housing over and over again? And I said, I don't really know. I'm learning this on the fly. I can connect you with someone, but may I ask how long that has been the case for you? And he said 20 years. And since that, uh, that has been repeated over and over and over again by people who know what they're talking about. And who have had their jobs and paperwork in order, and they are being kept from permanent housing because the city profits off congregate housing, and Cuomo's family and other private developers and for-profit agencies profit off filling their beds in private and for-profit shelters, and that is how it works. And the residents have never led the conversation, and the gym will absolutely not be silent or give anything until the next round of shit is led by them.
1: Speaking of the gym, um, and and your uh, Instagram and Twitter account, that's underscore before and after the gym, in between each letter. It's, so just yeah, before and after every letter. letter. We're sorry. And then we need to wrap up here in the next minute, but I just wanted to ask you one um, question, last question, which is, um, we know that you still actually are able to do some work out of the gym. That's great. We're really happy you're still doing the mutual aid. Uh, tell me quickly. What you're hoping for as far as accountability from the mayor and the city goes um, in regards to, you know, the 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 sort of violent police attack of, of two Saturdays ago.
5: Yeah. I mean, for me, it's all related. Like, again, all of these things are the same conversation, like private property, like you were talking about last time, the homeowner class, the private property, the developers fund the city. They have since the 70s when they bought it. Ever since then, it's been a Reaganomic government, and so the developers themselves pay the city, who pay the NYPD to protect property. That's it. That's what they're. I have seen again. I this is, we could give a list of what SRG has been up to and the squads in the past. It's it's always. I've never seen them show up on mass for unless it's for a protest or for to, to protect private property, and. We've been out on the sidewalk every single day still doing mutual aid we switched it to in front of the gym across the street, I mean the shelter across the street, but we're also back in front of the gym. I mean, you know, they, they locked us out. of the Wait, We have we have 30 seconds. Okay, sorry. Same thing we're doing the yep. same thing we're 30
1: seconds strength the mutual aid. Okay, strength of the mutual aid and we're if, if anybody wants, <laughs> if anybody wants to follow what the gym is doing go find them on Twitter and Instagram and reach out. Um, because and on the they, corner of Broadway
5: and Malcolm X in person
1: on the corner of Broadway and Malcolm X at 1083 Broadway thank you so much I really appreciate all of that information we're going to have to leave it here so that we can speak with our next guest but thank you Kate with the gym and um, we're going to take a quick musical break here and, and we'll we'll move on to our third segment thanks so much thank
5: you <laughs> Thank you.
0: We Almost Lost Detroit by Gil Scott Heron. Welcome back to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. In New York, I'm John Tarleton, and I'm also here with the Indies Amba Gagarian.
1: Hi, thanks, John. Before we continue on to our third segment, I just want to, again, ask everybody who can do so in whatever form they can do so to give to your community radio station, WBAI 99.5 FM. You can call 212-209-2950 or go online to give, the number 2, WBAI.org. So that's G-I-V-E, the number 2, WBAI.org and uh, continue the station going. Thanks so much.
0: Yes, again, that's 212 or online at give2wbai.org. And for our final segment, we turn to Cleveland, where a race to fill a vacant congressional seat has brought on a showdown between the progressive and pro-corporate wings of the Democratic Party. Voters are heading to the polls, or Democratic Party voters are heading to the polls today to choose between former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner, a close ally of Bernie Sanders, and Cuyahoga County Councilperson Chantel Brown. Brown is backed by senior leadership of the Congressional Black Caucus and a whole lot of outside super PAC money. Joining us uh, today to talk more about what's at stake and how the race is unfolding is Charles Lynchner. Charles is a a co-founder of People for Bernie, and these days he's working with a new media site, from Roots Action, it's called Progressive Hub, and Charles has been out in Cleveland uh, following this race. Uh, Charles, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Sure, so first of all, I, I, can you uh, give us a, a, a sense of what's uh, what's at stake in this race? I mean, it, it's become, uh, it, I mean, it's a very important race for the people in Cleveland, but it's also become a, a race with a lot of uh, national significance.
2: Basically, any special election has the potential to become a bellwether race where the impact of the results are much more significant because it's not happening in a regular November every two years. So you have, you know, the, the various sides are all competing to see how the narrative can be spun to the advantage of their political camp. And while that is, you know, often the case in general and special elections, it's especially true in in this district, in Ohio 11. You have a classic match of superstars. On the one hand, you have a, uh, a young Chantel Brown who has gone through the Black Congressional Black Caucus leadership training, who had a warm relationship with Marsha Fudge, who had held the seat until she got promoted to the Biden administration, who has spent her uh, her, her, her career um cultivating relationships with the established leadership of the Democratic Party in Ohio, and especially with the Black leadership, Black political leadership of Congress and of the state. On the other hand, you have Nina Turner, who up to a certain point, you might have put her in the same category of of Chantal Brown. Remember, Turner was, in fact, at one time um, uh, in a slightly different place politically before 2015. But right now, as someone who was a uh, former co-chair of the Bernie Sanders campaign, um, and who has taken some very radical positions, uh, as well as some very mainstream ones like Medicare for All, she is basically – endorsed by the entire panoply of progressive and left groups ranging from DSA to move on to our revolution to Roots action. She is representing the rising progressive branch uh, that is trying to shake up Congress. And we have a really good precedent for how much influence a single member can have. Just think of the trajectory of AOC. Think of how much press she's generated, how much impact, uh, 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 an amazing uh, media superstar who's had an enormous impact, despite the fact that she is, in fact, a backbencher who does not wield significant uh, authority from her, her position in Congress. Or to take another example, look at Cori Bush, who tried tried and did not succeed to get elected. She recently succeeded. She got elected to that seat. No it was a surprise victory um, in uh, just-
0: Missouri. Uh, Cory Bush from St. Louis, correct?
2: That's right. That's right. I was just looking. Um, <laughs> Nancy Pelosi just tweeted thank you to Cory Bush for inspiring the Democrats in Congress to do something about the end of the eviction moratorium. And we're going to come back to this. But a single member can have enormous influence. And there is no one set up for as much success for the progressive camp as Nina Turner is right now. And can
0: you talk about the the outside money that has come pouring into this race, uh, millions of dollars in super PAC money, in particular, uh, one super PAC, uh, Democratic majority uh, for Israel. Uh, I, I know uh, Israel-Palestine uh, uh, is is an issue you've uh, followed closely. You, in fact, uh, spent a year in jail when you were growing up in Israel. A year
2: for, in the army, not a year in jail.
0: To join the army. So I know you have a lot of thoughts about this subject, yeah. but what what's going on with this group, uh, uh, Democratic Majority for Israel, and other groups, just pouring millions of dollars in to try to uh, thwart Turner.
2: Well, I'll try and I'll uh, cover all the things you've raised, but first of all, understand how obscene it is to be watching the morning news or whatever, and then you see a commercial denouncing. A uh, uh, Brown, and then you see a commercial denouncing Nina Turner, and then you see a Super PAC denouncing one of them or the other. You might see five political ads in a single ad break on a single show. And this, this is, of course, amplified because today's voting day, but it's been going on for a long time. You drive down the highways and you see these enormous billboards uh, that often have text so small you can't even read it, but you can see what they're after. They want to denounce uh, uh, Nina Turner. Uh, you see, uh, if you watch YouTube and you live in Cleveland, you're going to see the, this ad money being spent. The fact that so much money is being spent from outside of the state to defeat Nina Turner, who's genuinely popular, is uh, uh, it's obscene. It's obscene to understand just how poor and desperate the communities are in this state and to contrast that with the amount of money that's being poured in. However, what's also interesting is to realize that uh, groups like DMFI are here because they want to make sure that Congress does not have more voices that will demand justice, justice in the Middle East, justice for Palestine, justice for people who need health care for all the things that matter. Um, They're trying to make this race the way that they stop the rise of the progressive camp. Um, and I would say the, the, the sort of thought that occurred to me was Cleveland is making a decision as to how easy it's going to be for the Biden administration or any other future administration to engage in another pointless war, in more escalation of hostilities, doesn't matter what country you name. There's someone in Congress right now who thinks it'd be fine to have a war there, or if not a war, a cold war. And if not a cold war, then sanctions. Something that's going to cause suffering to somebody. But Nina Turner is a champion who can be counted on not to go along with that, or at least not not to engage in any of that activity without making absolutely sure that it's a last, uh, a last recourse. Um, we are... We are here in Cleveland helping to put a stop to the pro-imperial policies of outside lobbying groups spending money here.
0: And uh, we'll have to go in about uh, another 30 or 40 seconds. But uh, real quick, any uh, any thoughts on uh, how the race uh, might turn out tonight? The polls are closing at 7.30.
2: <laughs> well, nothing I'm going to say, nothing we do today is going to change the outcome. But it it is a toss-up. I was following on Predict It, the site for legal betting on election results. A few weeks ago, uh, it looked like the money was 75% for Nina, 25% uh, for Chantel Brown. And that's, that's flipped a little bit. Now it's much closer uh, with a slight edge to Brown. Um, the, the reason why it's such a tight race and so hard to understand what's going on is that turnout is, is low. This is a special election. Many of the residents are not active, politically engaged. Uh, um, we just don't know. But here at Nina headquarters, where I'm sitting right now, there's a lot of optimism. Everyone is out canvassing. This is why there's there's no one around me. Um, uh, it's going right. to be right, But I was told by a staffer here that all we right, 15 probably, seconds we will know who's going to win tonight. So stay tuned to the live stream on the Young Turks. Watch progressivehub.net to see more analysis and updates as the evening goes on. Thank you so much. Love you, B- WBAI.
0: all right. Thank you, Charles Lynchner from uh, ProgressiveHub.net on the ground in Cleveland this evening. Well, that uh, that wraps it up uh, for today's show. Uh, Thanks uh, to uh, Amma Gagarin, the co-host, also our uh, uh, board operator, uh, uh, Reggie uh, Johnson, and also uh, Renee Feltz with uh, some help with the headlines. And uh, we'll be back same time next week uh, with the Independent News Hour. Thanks for listening.